0: I may have said as recently as a week ago that um, I don't like winter, so I don't like January a whole lot, nor February. Um, until the last few years, being a part of the St. Paul's family and Covenant Month has been transformative for me. About January, I really look forward to this. I love the uh, what we do with this, and it's been um, increasingly rich in terms of I think my own spiritual growth with this. But if you recall, a year ago um, we were doing Covenant Month under the theme of growing in Christ. What a great theme to look at and for our own lives and this week we just shifted that a bit this year growing in grace and um, I hope you're doing this. Um, I I commit it. I do it with you. Uh, We're doing it together but um, I can't do it for you but you won't regret tackling this uh, each of us and there are not only these for adults but there are those for youth also and we, uh, we expect parents to take the children's home with you and use it as an exercise in your home to do this with them it's not being done over in the children's uh, CY building during worship for example Uh, we want uh, the adults to grab those for your children and and a great opportunity to uh, tackle this at home with your young ones and I don't know if you remember to bring them. I know that's hard to do, but uh, I did remember to bring mine. And if you, uh, if you need one or you haven't even gotten one yet, uh, we have some fellows at the back. Who they're more than willing to get one into your hands. And you might want to use it today, even if you have it at home. So if you want another one, we have lots of copies of these because we knew we'd need lots. So if you want another one, just raise your hand. And these guys are ready right now to get them into your hands. All the way up to the front row, too, here, Jerry. And if you're following along, you know, we started where you, we have to begin with what God does for us. And so a couple of weeks ago, it was receiving God's grace. And we even had uh, invited all of us here to come forward and simply to receive, to open ourselves up to the Lord uh, for um, to choose Christ, repentance, receiving more of the Holy Spirit. And then last week we we focused on growing in God's grace, that that idea that there would be uh, a personal decision to make personal time with this personal God in some sort of daily way, daily fashion. Open the the Bible, um, say prayers a quiet time, if you will, in our own home, as well as worship in a regular fashion as well. And we're moving now into the third of these four weeks, and um, this is under the heading of living and giving in God's grace. And the scripture extracted from uh, the Bible for this, but just as you excel in everything, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Writes to the church in Somerville, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Living and giving in God's grace. There are a lot of G's in there. I started, you know, you never know what's going to happen while you're trying to prepare a sermon. And I got off on a G kick for a while this week. And, you know, G is for God our Father. Not just God, but really God, whom we call Father. G is for goodness, His goodness. G is for grace, obviously. G is for gratitude. G is for generosity and giving. G is for gumption. Gumption means going for it. The Jews have a great word for that out of their Hebrew language, chutzpah. Uh, that, that really, um, stepping out, stepping up and stepping out. More G's grace is God's goodness and generosity as God our Father. Gratitude and generosity are the response we make to God's grace. But I can tell you something else about the word grace. I bet 98% of you do not know. Grace is not merely a passive Thought or idea in the Bible. It's not just a noun, God's grace. Grace is understood as a word of empowerment. It's a power word. It's intimately related to the idea of the Holy Spirit and His power. It's why Paul will write at the end of one, one of his letters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He, that idea is that grace is that, that empowerment You might call it a motivator. Grace, you see, awakens gratitude. And gratitude motivates us to respond. Have you ever said to anyone, how can I ever repay you? You see, that motivation out of gratitude because of a gift of grace received. Our response then is called generosity. Or it's called giving. Living and giving in God's grace. Or we could say by God's grace or through God's grace or in response to God's grace. What can I give? I was offered to you an answer to that question. An answer would be the single most important item to give to God is that which is most important to you. And when you think about it, it's that thing which is the hardest thing to give up because it's so important to us. It's why grace as an empowering word is so important. Only grace, it's empowerment, and our gratitude of that grace can pry or leverage us to give up that which is most important to us. could be our children is what's most important to us. We have to give up our children to the Lord. It could be our marriage. It could also be, of course, money. In fact, money is the most important or one of the most important things to probably virtually everyone in this room. Why? Well, I don't know exactly why, but... Certainly, we live in a culture that places a supremely high value on acquisition, on comfort, on luxury even, and on having more. It convinces us that that should be our highest value, how much we have or how much we have acquired or how much we have saved, but it all revolves around the dollar sign, the dollar symbol. It revolves around money. And what can we give to God? Well, the single most important item to give to God is what is most important to us, or at least certainly one of the things most important to us. And so to the gospel this morning. One of us, an American, came up to Jesus, a rich young man. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life, is this version in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus already begins to shift the ground on him. He asks about eternal life. Jesus responds, If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. In other words, the fullness of life is built in relationships because we'll see in a few minutes that the the commandments he makes reference to are all those kind of horizontal relationships we have and how we are to treat others. But he's talking about if you want to enter life now, I mean, Jesus does say in another section of the gospel, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. So he says to this rich young American, if you want life, well, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man asks. He's pressing, and Jesus replies, and he describes these relational commandments. And I want to say what he's talking about, inner life, is it, it's it. it It is about our relationships and how we treat others. So he says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. He kind of sums up the whole thing. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this young American is persistent, and he's a good man. He's a good American. Well, I've kept all these, he replies. He probably should have left well enough alone. But he, the young man, he's feeling that he's missing something. He said, I've done that. I'm a good American. I'm a good Jew. I honor the law. I respect other people. But something's missing in my life. And so the young man asked him, asked Jesus, well, what do I still lack? In other words, well, then why, why is there not more joy and fullness and life in my life? So Jesus takes it home. Well, if you want to be perfect, I like the word better. If you want to be whole, now he's really talking to an American. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You'll get treasures. Come and follow me. You'll get treasure. Remember how this gospel story ends. Don't get lost right here. Giving it up. Don't get lost with this young American either. When this young American heard this, he went away sad. And the fact is, he stayed sad. Because the one thing he needed to do, the most important thing he had in his life, he was not willing to give up to the Lord. I bet he went away sad. So Jesus... Probably with some sadness in his heart too that this young man did not have the gumption, the chutzpah to step up and step out. Jesus turns to his own disciples maybe they can learn what this young man has not learned and Jesus says uh, you know it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom the kingdom of heaven he calls it here. Another place he calls it the kingdom of God Let's be clear, because what does Jesus mean about kingdom of heaven entering? Is he talking about it's hard when you die to go to heaven? It's really not hard at all, unless you're trying hard. It's easy to go to heaven, accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you're in. But is that what Jesus is talking about, entering the kingdom of heaven here? I don't believe so. He doesn't mean dying, going to heaven, at least not primarily, Entering the kingdom of God or entering the kingdom of heaven happens while you are still alive. Jesus, as he begins his own preaching mission in that three-year ministry, says, the kingdom of God has arrived. It continues there when we have left here and gone there. It is even more when we die But the kingdom of God can be experienced and tasted and enjoyed, brothers and sisters, now. Where faith, hope, love, and joy are in abundant evidence, it's heaven. It's the kingdom of God arrived. Have you ever said at some point, probably in the gathering with other folks in the context of fellowship... Maybe an incredible natural scene of fellowshipping with nature. Have you ever said, this is heavenly? Yeah. Jesus is saying, do you want more of that? I have more of that. But it's hard for a rich one, a rich American, to enter that kind of life. So the disciples are astonished because they think richness is a sign of blessing, but he's saying you can't really get into life with richness. And so they say, well, who can be rescued then if a rich man hasn't been rescued? And Jesus said, well, it's actually impossible, impossible, for a human being to rescue themselves. Rescue themselves. It's impossible. Why is it impossible for a rich person, a rich American, to rescue himself? Because richness Creates the illusion of self-sufficiency. We don't need God. I'll buy what I need. I'll write a check. I'll pull out my credit card. I'll go into my savings to solve this problem, this issue in my life. It creates the illusion that we can do it on our own. So it's difficult for a rich person who is thinking that their richness is everything they must hold on to because it enables self-sufficiency... Instead, it enables failure. You cannot enter the kingdom with that kind of attitude. The kingdom of life. You cannot enter the fullness of life. With a man, it's impossible. With a person, it's impossible. But with God, God's grace as a motivating power, all things are possible. Well, that's why it's hard for us Americans to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. I could ask it another way. I have to ask you another way as I have to ask myself another way. How important is money to you? It's very, very important to me. Now, that's a confession. I'm not necessarily proud of that. But that's the truth. And it may be more important than it ought to be. Whether it's because I grew up with uh, not able to rub two nickels together, and so I thought that if I had money, I would feel better or be better. I don't know what caused that sense of uh, dependency upon money, but I love money. Maybe it's simply the culture I live in, that it's in the air we breathe. Where every way we turn, you need money. It feels like or seems like to be happy. It feels like or seems like it's an illusion. But what I do know is it's something that I need to do something about. I need to tackle this issue about my relationship to the God money. And I have tried, and I have. If Ellen and I are wealthy... And someone said to me this past year, you know, there's a perception that you all are very wealthy. I said, really? I mean, I was really surprised at, that at first. But then I thought, about it, I said, well, I suppose we are. Certainly by the world standards, we're extraordinarily wealthy. But if we are wealthy, a teacher and a pastor is not because we withheld from the Lord his rightful part of that in order to get wealthy, If we are wealthy after 35 years of working, then I guess, well, so be it. Uh, What a blessing living in this nation and in this sort of economy. But what I also know that it was when I was in my 30s, when we felt pretty broke most of the time. And, of course, I would say, well, we were wealthy then. I mean, we had a car. We had an air-conditioned home. We had a telephone So I have to be careful of that. Feeling pretty broke most of the time, I felt very poor then. But it was then that we decided to put the Lord, His church, first. First, with regards to generosity. The single most important item I had to give, or at least at times in my life, the single most important item I had to give was that which was most important to me it was money. So we are invited in this covenant preparation to consider what it means living and giving in God's grace. And we have some first things, first cards. I'm going to ask the ushers if you will pass those out right now and get one in every family's hand. You can every individual can have one, but they really meant one per family. We used these a year ago as well, and uh, they're offered in a revised uh, kind of format uh, today. Um, they, uh, there are these blue cards, First Things First in 2013. They encourage and invite a primary response for us in our covenant preparation to consider financially how we relate to God Almighty. And so it will say, first of all, it's bracketed in Scripture. Uh, Exodus, bring the best of the first fruits, first things first. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part, Numbers, a a quotation from the book of Numbers. It ends with an account from Chronicles that a a great amount was brought, 10% of everything, and so it's bracketed in Scripture, first things first. But then it sets us on a course if you choose to take this course. I do, I invite you to, in 2013, out of gratitude for His grace to me, I commit to putting God first with regard to my personal finances. What does that look like? Unpack it. First, I choose to live generously by giving regularly and consistently. Second, I choose to live wisely by setting aside a portion to savings. Third, I choose to live responsibly by intentionally seeking to eliminate all credit card debt. Fourth, I choose to live in peace establishing a lifestyle based upon 80% of my income. And so I choose to live a life of love. And if you choose to go further with first things first, you can even choose, say, and I choose to give 10%, save percent, and live gratefully on the rest. Take these home with you. Put them on your desk or on your refrigerator. Weigh them. Put them between your husband and wife or discuss them and consider with your family, what should we do about this in 2013? How might we utilize this? Then hold on to these. We will bring them as offering later in February after Covenant Month is over. During the annual celebration Sunday, the annual meeting slash celebration Sunday, we will utilize these and uh, not to... uh, Uh, they're yours, but uh, just to offer them up to the Lord and say, Lord, here is my intention. Why? Because it's hard for rich Americans to enter the kingdom of life. It's hard because we think money is the answer to all of our problems. Just turn on the TV and see if it doesn't try to sell you on that idea again today. And Jesus would have us enjoy the kingdom of life. Brings us full circle to all those G's, doesn't it? G is for God our Father that we can call out to Him and say, Dad. G is for His goodness. G is for grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor shown to us by God. G is for gratitude, our response to God's grace. G is for generosity and giving, our response to gratitude. How can I repay you, Lord? G is for gumption, for going counter to the culture, against the grain of this culture, and not chiefly being an American rich person, but chiefly being a rich disciple, rich towards God and rich towards others. Well, will you join me? I'll sign on. I did it last year. I'll do it again this year. Ellen and I will with gladness. First things first in 2013. And as we end on this note of living and giving, keep in mind that uh, this is broken out in this great working document we have. And uh, with emphasis there, I've given to generosity today, but also about fellowship. Don't be cut off from the body. Utilize the idea and concept of small group living. Look at that as well as you prepare this covenant and your intentions for 2013. Okay. Okay. Three out of four weeks, done, gone. We have a climax to build to next week. Come back. Come back and hear and see what it looks like for you and for the St. Paul's community to step up and step out into this world. Think about it under the terms of we're going to impact hearts. Yes, our hearts. We're going to impact homes. Yes, our homes. But the stepping out is impacting our neighbors' lives. Stay tuned to see what it's going to look like in 2013 for St. Paul's to be out there off campus in new and extraordinary fashion to do what God has called us to do. Impact the world in His name. Amen.